to begin making your way back to your seats. I know some are probably loading up on breakfast at the, at the table, that's all right. Um, and uh, we just have the privilege now of continuing on in worship as we're turning to God's word this morning. And uh, as we do that, uh, I need to pray. So let's pray. God, we, we thank you for the gift of this body, this community of faith, Cedar Creek Covenant Church. God, what a blessing to just uh, sense all the, the relationships and connections happening, even during that time of greeting. And so we rejoice in that. We're thankful for that gift of this body. Uh, God, we, we thank you over and above all else this morning. Once again, we, we thank you for, for your redeeming grace that has been uh, offered to us in the very person and through the work of your son, Jesus. We thank you this morning for your life-giving and your life-changing word, and we pray uh, by the power and with the persuasion that can only come from your Holy Spirit that you would now open our hearts and minds to receive a message from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, if, if you haven't heard the news flash, we're beginning uh, a, a reading of scripture together uh, called Immerse, and this is a, a Bible reading experience that our congregation has actually been involved with over the past couple of years. And, and with Immerse, uh, we're, we're seeking to, to read big as we read the Bible, and by read big, that means to, to follow the larger narrative of the story of God uh, from the Old Testament into the New Testament, ultimately uh, finding its way to the person and to the work of Jesus. And so we're reading big as we engage in Immerse. Uh, we're seeking to read real, meaning we are opening ourselves to ask those honest uh, sometimes difficult, truthful questions that arise as we read uh, portions of Scripture that may be confusing or hard for us to take in. So we're seeking to read real, and we're seeking to read together. You know, Immerse is really designed not just for what you hear on a Sunday morning, uh, but more importantly, what, what happens in small groups. And so, again, just want to offer that to you today. I think we, we really can learn a lot as we open God's word together within a small group context. And so, and so we're reading together. Uh, this is uh, the third of six volumes in Immerse, and it's entitled Kingdoms. And Kingdoms really presents this story of Israel from the time of its uh, conquest of Canaan in the book of Joshua through the struggles to settle the land God promised to the Israelites in the books of Judges and Ruth, and the establishment of Israel's kingdom, which ends in a forced exile uh, that's recorded for us in Samuel and Kings. Uh, the nation of Israel, which has been commissioned to be God's light to the nation, falls into division and the foreign conquest and foreign conquest for rejecting God's rule. This is a summary 
of what we are reading in these coming weeks uh, in Immerse Kingdoms. Today, I want to take some time to really focus in on a particular character that you'll be reading about in this week uh, one reading plan. And, and our character for today, I would call her one of the more uh, wily women in the Bible. Um, her story is told primarily in Joshua chapters 2 and 6, and so you may want to just open up your Bible today to, to the book of Joshua chapters 2 and 6. I want to say that, that according to Jewish rabbinical tradition, she was uh, one of the most one of the four most beautiful women uh, in the ancient world. This woman uh, owned a seedy business on the edge of town, and it was there that she harbored two Israelite spies sent by Joshua uh, to look over the land. And, and it was this uh, courageous lady of the night who put her life on the line, taking a risk, actually lying to the king of Jericho, and to his emissaries in order to protect the spies. And it's all because of, of the larger faith risk that she took in the God of Israel. And, and as we will discover, this faith risk that she took produced a faith result, not only for herself, for her family, but I would say ultimately for all of us here this morning who seek to follow after Jesus. This wily woman turned hero is known throughout the entirety of scripture as Rahab, but not just Rahab, Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. Uh, here's the essence of Rahab's story, and here's its application, I think, for our lives today. Uh, the labels that have marred our lives can be absolutely redeemed by our loving God. Labels. We all have them. And perhaps earlier in life, we were marked with a label of sorts. Maybe someone said something about us, and, and it owns us even to this day. Perhaps we've labeled ourselves. Perhaps we've We've uh, attached a certain attribute or a characteristic or some kind of limitation to our personhood. And we think, I, I will always be this way. Um, I, I just want to share briefly that I, I think one of the, the great things about, for me being able to live here in the Pacific Northwest, the place that I was born and raised, is, is the opportunity that I have to reconnect with, with older friends that I grew up with. And it was several years ago now that I attended my, uh, my high school reunion. And um, I just remember entering into this very boisterous, smoky bar, uh, blurring the greatest hits from the 1980s. And I was with a classmate that I've actually known since I was six years old. And, and it became apparent that the same labels that were used a quarter of a century ago still exist. Um, and and my, my friend kind of briefed me as, as we headed in. He said, 
I, I was at the reunion five years ago and things haven't changed a bit. Uh, the jocks are still basking in their glory. And I, I, grew up, I grew up in Kirkland and there was this world famous, well, they're not world famous. There, there was a Kirkland Little League team that won the world championship when I was a kid. And so I grew up with all these athletes. And my senior year in high school, our, our school took state in football, basketball, and baseball. They were just dominant. And, and so they're all still basking in their glory. Uh, and, 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 um, and, and my friend said that the cheerleaders are still cheering on the jocks like they did way back when. And he said the partiers are still partying, hence the boisterous smoky bar that we walked into. And and, and even though it was years later, we, we, we related to one another according to labels. And, and I had not spoken with any of my classmates since graduating from high school. And many had kind of heard through the grapevine that, that I attended a school in Chicago and then went to something called a theological seminary. And so, and so uh, I... I I was given this label as, as religious guy. And, and so um, I, I actually was showing a picture of my wife and my children to one of my classmates and, and she was taken back by that. She said, she said I, I, I thought priests weren't allowed to get married and have a family. I said, it's not, it's not like that. Labels, you know, we, we, we have these labels. As we turn to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, uh, I think we discover in this one verse of Scripture three labels that marked Rahab. Uh, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two shies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. And so they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Uh, the first of Rahab's labels was that she was a woman. And I want to just say very openly and honestly um, that, that um, this was a negative label in that day, in that age, to be a woman. For example, in the Jewish culture of that time, chauvinistic men were known to pray the following prayer. I thank you, God, that I was born neither a Gentile nor a woman. And, and this was an offensive prayer and unfortunately part of the culture of that day. The second label was this. Uh, Rahab was a Canaanite from Jericho. And the Canaanites were arch enemies of Israel. Uh, the Jews considered uh, the Canaanites to be detestable because of the pagan gods that they worshipped. And it was coupled with any number of rituals. One of the more extreme pagan rituals that the Canaanites were engaged in included even the sacrifice of children. So she was a woman. She was a Canaanite. Uh, Rahab's third label and strike against her was this. She was a prostitute. Uh, interestingly, uh, some, some commentaries have attempted to dismiss that this was her occupation. They, they try to kind of sweep it under the rug. But as we read about her, not only in the Old Testament, but we'll see also today in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, she is known as Rahab, 
the prostitute. In six out of the eight references that I found in my preparation for the message this morning, she is known as Rahab the prostitute. To put it kindly, she was working in what was called the oldest profession in the world, uh, but we all know what it really means, what Rahab was doing. She made herself available to men for pay. And so it's with these labels, Rahab is considered by all human standards to be on the lowest rung of the social and the religious ladder. She was the lowest of the low. And so this morning, as we're, we're here in worship and just kind of open before God and the Holy Spirit, the question I think for us is, uh, what negative label has followed us around in our life? As mentioned, perhaps earlier in life, we were marked with some kind of negative label. Someone said something negative about us, and it, it sticks with us even to this day. Or we've labeled ourselves. We've attached some kind of limitation or, or character flaw to our personhood. And we're kind of boxed in by this. Thinking we're always, we're always going to be this way. What negative label has followed us? Can we name it today? <laughs> Maybe you're going to whisper it to yourself as we continue on in worship today. Maybe you'll even write something down. Can we, can we name it? I, I want us this morning in, in worship before God in the spirit of honesty to really lay it before God. Ask God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to take us all that we are and to redeem us and to use us today. And so as we follow this story of Rahab the prostitute, we, we, we witness the redemption of a labeled woman. Her story of redemption is very representative of God's greater story of redemption for the entire created order of things. And as we witness God's transforming power at work in Rahab's life story, may we grasp this truth that God's transforming is available for our labeled lives as well. Uh, as I was preparing this week, my uh, Apple Pages program uh, spell-checked the name Rahab, and the first word offered to replace Rahab was rehab. <laughs> but I think these two kind of fit together today for us. At least I'm going to make it fit together today. We, we might say that this is the story of Rahab's rehab. Uh, and we review uh, Rahab's story today in two parts, two simple parts. The first is this. The first part is the faith risk. And we read about it in the first half of Joshua chapter 2. I read a little earlier, then, then Joshua secretly sent two spies go look over the land, especially Jericho, and they went in and they entered into the house of a prostitute named Rahab. You may wonder, why would the spies enter into the house of a prostitute? Uh, her business actually was well-situated for the spies. It was located on the edge of town, literally built into the wall surrounding the city of Jericho. The spies are attempting to keep a rather low profile, remain as inconspicuous as possible, and so they go to a place where customers place a very high value on coming and going without being 
scene. But unfortunately, this, this airtight plan, it fails them because the king of Jericho is told that some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And so the king sends a message to Rahab and says, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house. And so the plot in the story thickens for us this morning. What should Rahab do? Disobeying the king's order, it was an act of treason. It was punishable by death. Meanwhile, Rahab has taken the spies and uh, she has hidden them under uh, uh, stalks of flax that are drying on the roof of her home. Uh, in, in addition, Rahab lies. She, she lies to the king's messenger, saying in essence, yes, they were here. I don't know where they are from. When it came time to close the city gate, they left. Not sure which way they went, but if you go after them quickly, you might be able to catch them. Why would Rahab, the prostitute, take such an enormous faith risk? An enormous risk here. An enormous risk. Just a risk in and of itself. Well, she goes up onto the roof and she basically shares the following with the spies. She says to the spies, and we, we can read about this in Joshua, I, I, I've heard the stories about your God the God of Israel. I, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. We've heard about how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. We've heard about what you Israelites have done to the two kings of the Amorites who opposed you east of the Jordan. She heard stories about the God of Israel, the powerful, miraculous, victorious God of Israel. And she's wondering to herself as she's hearing this, might this be the one true God? And the thinking and the wondering and the pondering led to an enormous faith risk. And it's captured for us in a declarative statement found in the second half of Joshua chapter 2, verse 11. And this declarative statement is really a major turning point in Rahab's life. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of, because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And, and I want to say at that moment, a prostitute becomes a prophetess of God. And she takes an enormous faith risk, trusting in God and allowing God to begin doing this work of removing these labels that had marred her for years. This is part one of Rahab's rehab. As we continue reading in chapter two, Rahab strikes a deal with the Israelite spies. I'll keep you safe if you keep me and my family safe. And when you, enter into the, when you enter into the city to take it, and the spies agree, and they give this, this interesting conditional detail. This oath you made us swear will not be binding unless when we enter into the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window. And the, there's a picture on the worship program cover this morning of this red cord dangling out of the window of Rahab's house in the wall of Jericho. 
this scarlet cord in the window of Rahab's house would be a sign to the Israelites. Unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. And so Rahab agrees to this, this arrangement. And, and she sent them away. And she tied the scarlet cord in her window. Uh, Rahab's story, it begins with this faith risk. And it ends with a faith result. And we see this faith result in chapter 6 of Joshua. Joshua, under God's direction, commands the Israelites, and this is kind of crazy when you think about it, and the Israelites were very faithful to do exactly what God commands Joshua to have them do, uh, uh, to march around the city of Jericho. And so they march one time a day for six days, the whole nation of Israel, parading around the city of Jericho. On the seventh day, they march around the city seven times, give a final blow on the trumpets, followed by all the people shouting at the top of their lungs, and the scripture reads that the wall collapsed. The wall collapsed and the Israelites went in. And it, it makes us wonder, what about Rahab, the prostitute, and her family, uh, her home with the scarlet cord in the window? It was built into the wall. What happened? The Bible does not divulge particular details to us. But what we do know is that she and her family survived. And we can read this in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. And so she takes the faith risk, declaring, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And, and, and now we begin to see the faith result. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. And so we read that Rahab and her family are saved. This morning, I want to speak ever so briefly about the scarlet cord hanging in Rahab's window. As I've mentioned, the scarlet cord hanging in the window, it saved Rahab, it saved her family. The red scarlet cord uh, sent several messages to those who would have seen it. Uh, one message of the scarlet cord uh, that it sent was this, that this place is actually, this is a place of prostitution. Before there were red light districts, there were red cord districts. It's as if Rahab's label is just hung out of her window for all to see. In addition, the red cord hanging out the window and the preservation of her family, it parallels the story of the Passover that's recorded for us in Exodus. Think about that story this morning. Egypt suffering from a series of devastating plagues. The final plague being the worst in order to be spared from the death of the firstborn. God instructs the Israelites to slaughter a lamb without any spot or blemish. Now in addition to cooking 
and eating the lamb during the Passover meal, they were commanded to take some of the blood and to sprinkle it on, on, on the tops and the side door frames of their home. And this would be a sign to pass over these homes, these doors sprinkled in scarlet colored blood, saving the lives of the firstborn inside. The blood that was spread on the top and the sides of the doorposts, it, it, it ran down. It, it did naturally what it does through, through gravity, and it created an image that looked very much like a cross with the blood. Very cross-like. This is foreshadowing, a foreshadowing for us of Jesus shedding innocent blood on the cross. Jesus is described in Scripture as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is what Jesus has done for us, shedding innocent blood, taking away the sin of the world. And, and when we take the faith risk in Jesus Christ, we too are offered the faith result. The faith result is a rich and abundant life here and now, redemption in this life here and now, as well as an eternity with God. Rahab, woman, Canaanite, prostitute, now living with the Israelites. What happened to Rahab? Uh, Rahab is not strictly confined to our Immerse Kingdom's week one reading plan. I don't know if you knew that. She's mentioned in the New Testament as well. Uh, we were just talking about this in Christian formation this morning. Uh, she's, she's mentioned uh, in, in the New Testament as well. For example, she's one of two women recorded in the Great Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the scripture reads, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were unbelieving. Why does the label prostitute follow Rahab into the New Testament? After all, the prostitute Rahab is not listed. Let's, get e let's have some equal rights here. She's, she's not listed in the great hall of faith along with the liar Abraham. Or the schemer Jacob. Or the murderer Moses. Why can't the text simply read Rahab? Leave the sister alone. That's what I want to say. Why is that? Could it be God wants us to understand that the lowest of the low can be redeemed and powerfully used for God's purposes. Could it be that God wants us to understand that when we take a faith risk, there is a faith reward? The prostitute Rahab keeping company with Noah and with Joseph and with David in the great hall of faith. You know, Rahab's also, this faith result of Rahab, it's it continues on in the gospel accounts as well. Conventional wisdom would say, oh, Rahab, the prostitute, she's, she's damaged goods. Was there any hope of, of marriage and family in her future? And then we read 
in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Rahab got married to a man named Solomon, one of the city fathers of Bethlehem. Solomon and Rahab have a son named Boaz. Some of us may be familiar with that name. Boaz saw Ruth gleaning in the field. Some of us may be familiar with that name as well. Boaz marries Ruth. They have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David. And through this process of divine matchmaking, Solomon and Rahab become very important participants in God's grand plan helping create both the legal and the biological right uh, for Jesus multiple generations later to the throne of David to be the long-awaited Messiah. There isn't a greater redemption story than this. The one labeled as a prostitute, the one who came from the lowest rung on the social and religious ladder is the very same one that God uses to bring forth the Savior of the world. And so, beloved children of God, sisters and brothers in Christ, I want to say this morning, and I'm also just reflecting ever so briefly about the last weekend with Dominique and our time with Radiant Covenant Church and thinking about mass incarceration and thinking about um, our role as Christians, I, I just want to say it, it, it isn't about what we were. Rather, it is about what we are by God's grace alone becoming. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this journey that we'll be on together as a community of faith through immersed kingdoms and I pray, God, that you would be preparing hearts and minds as people read the text this coming week. God, I pray this morning that your word uh, has fallen on fresh and fertile soil in hearts and in minds, and we just commit ourselves to, to live into the things that you're teaching us through your word. We continue on in worship now, returning an offering. And, and with this act of worship, God, we're simply declaring all that we have and are. It's all a gift from you. So we return a portion back to you today. We pray that you would take these gifts, that you would use them. We pray, God, that your kingdom continue to come and your will continue to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.